0: Hello, everyone. I am talking with Bill Jennings, Senior Director at Delta Consulting Group. How, Bill? Bill how are you?
1: I, I'm well, Hernan. Good to see you.
0: Good to see you. Good to hear you as well. So, one of the things that I would like to 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 talk with you a little bit about has to do with the different risks and trends and technologies that you're hearing about, seeing about, working on. What's happening out there that internal auditors and compliance professionals should know about? So, let's talk about risk, trends, and technologies. What What are you hearing about?
1: Well, uh, a couple of things that are important. You know, obviously the uh, the the uh, many of the risks that exist in the past are still with us, but there are some emerging things I think that people need to be aware of. One is I was at the White Collar Crime Institute in uh, Miami last week, and one of the things I learned oh, is that the government, yeah, the Deputy Attorney General spoke, and, it, and she made it clear that the government is now very narrowly focused on uh, compliance. So not only um, in, you know, uh, sort of black letter compliance, but also in the spirit of compliance. And so organizations um, are going to be judged based on the um, the seriousness with which they uh, take putting in place controls to address uh, compliance with laws, regulations, and of course the uh, you know, the uh, their internal policies and procedures. So that's that that is a huge shift for the government. So the government was giving uh credit in the past for companies that had compliance systems in place. The changes that that credit will only be given to the extent that those systems are actually demonstrably working
0: so it, it, do you feel that or maybe they explicitly said so but do you think that the ftx collapse maybe influenced that uh, change in tenor uh because of the the magnitude and the speed of which everything collapsed in, in in that environment
1: well i think the government was um actually shifting to this policy earlier um uh-huh. and and their idea was that um they were unable to police the enormous number of entities that are subject to their jurisdiction. And so a a way to uh, address that is to have a a, a very narrow focus on making sure that all organizations realize that they will be given credit for compliance, um, but they will also be punished when they um, either disregard or or, um, fail to seriously pursue compliance now i will tell you that ftx has had an impact um the cftc the sec and also the department of justice are very narrowly focused on that matter and they all come at it in different ways but the the message is clear that um for crypto um assets (laughs) because as it turns out that's a much wider field than just cryptocurrency but for crypto assets right. in general, uh, the government is spending enormous amount of resources focusing on those uh, with a view to protecting the investing public.
0: So, so they're looking at uh, the, these. Uh, well, they're based on blockchain technology. But so, have they decided whether it's an asset or a tradable communi- commodity, or, or or what is it uh, in in, the, in terms of its definition? Because I know for a while that was a big debate whether or not this was a way of uh, holding value, like, like an asset, like a building or, or something like that, whether it was like currency that you could exchange, buy and sell. I mean, you can still do the same with assets, but quite often you have to use money to buy or sell it. But this itself was considered a currency. So are they closer to defining it in such a way or is that still a little bit uh, uncertain?
1: It's a little bit uncertain. It depends on the agency. And they're all sort of mm-hmm. looking to Congress to create a legal definition. But the IRS um, regards it as a security. And I believe the SEC looks at it as a security as well. CFTC um, has taken more of a uh, an agnostic approach to the definition and um, believes that its duty is to regulate it, whether it's a currency or a security. And Department of Justice has <laughs> the most interesting approach of all, They actually uh, don't take any chances. They view it as both a currency and a security. So when they indict (laughs) criminal conduct, like FTX, they will indict it under statutes that um, relate to currencies as well as statutes that relate to securities.
0: Yeah. I think this is consistent with what we have seen over the year, many years, right, where uh, technologies yes. lead and and the regulations and the controls follow. And in this case, we find that it's just gained so much value that it's become very dangerous, really, for some people in terms of how much they can possibly lose and the, the speed at which it's moving. Now, this also has international implications. So you have different governments uh, that are also looking into this, not only creating their own uh, cryptocurrencies, but also how they're regulating it. Was there anything said about how, from an international perspective, they were going to address it? Since money laundering is one of the ways that they use some of these
1: instruments. You know, they they are working with other governments, but um, all all of the federal agencies made the point that um, if you are dealing with an offshore entity like FTX, for instance, um, you you are. You know, it's let the buyer beware. You're taking on a great deal of additional risk because because the U.S. government does not have the ability um, at this point to regulate its operation until it violates U.S. laws. So um, you know, the, their point was, you know, if if you're investing in an entity that's offshore, let the buyer beware. From a money laundering standpoint um the the government's become quite sophisticated actually at um blockchain blockchain technology in fact they've spent an enormous amount of money uh hiring data scientists and others to help them cope with the exchange the identification exchange of uh blockchain assets and so um the the u.s government has the ability to um Monitor those transactions and also uh, intervene because when you try to monetize the assets, um, it, you know if you if you want to exchange them for U.S. dollars, those transactions have to clear through New York banks, and the government um, is is closely monitoring all of those exchanges and, and does have the ability to stop the transfer of block, you know. Transfer of monetary assets created from blockchain assets.
0: Okay, uh, I would imagine also is going to start to get into taxation at some point, and um, as far as uh, financial reporting as well, right? The SEC is probably not going to be long before they start to come up with some mechanism to to try to increase some kind of financial reporting i would imagine just like they do with uh, stock trading or mutual funds and other other instruments Uh, in terms of other uses of blockchain so you just spoke a bit about how it's used as a currency as an asset but in terms of other uses of blockchain what are you seeing or hearing in terms of what they're doing with it
1: well you know it's it's fascinating um so in addition to currencies Many people have heard about um, non-fungible tokens or NFTs that are, you know, based on blockchain technology. And uh, <laughs> the former president, in fact, recently uh, released a number of uh, NFT images uh, for sale, uh, which were quite interesting. But um, there are many, many, many uh, ways in which blockchain technology is used to create intellectual property assets and to buy and sell those so an example might be that if you were for instance a movie producer you could circulate what would be the equivalent of an rfp to have people write a script from let's say a book and and all of these uh script writers anywhere in the world actually um could could write either an entire script or parts of a script and then have those encoded using blockchain technology and then submitted for consideration. Now, if the the producer decides to buy it, they they would buy the the blockchain asset that has that either part or entire script attached to it. And then they would be free to then sell that blockchain asset to others. And so there are exchanges actually for all kinds of intellectual property that are um, essentially tied to uh, blockchain, you know, identifiers so that they can be bought and sold. I mean, it's really fascinating. I, I, I see no end in fight.
0: So, so it allows you to, to make it a unique item, which is, I would imagine, from I guess is, is it helpful so that you can basically protect what you've created and you can basically uh, claim ownership over it? Is, is that one of the ways it's being looked at that is, is, is a- a- allowable now for the individual to say, OK, this is mine and here is the proof that it is mine because the blockchain that goes with it?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, most um, intellectual property law, uh, I, of course, I'm not a lawyer, but most intellectual property law as I understand it, is based on being able to demonstrate that you created the thing, you know, that you were the author of whatever it is. And one of the great problems with that in the past has been that there's been no way to to authenticate things. And so people use very complex agreements, which are quite expensive and also limit um, participants, you know, because you've got to spend money to create contracts, even things like non-disclosure agreements. Um, you, you, you're not going to deal with, for instance, a, a, a scriptwriter who's never written a script, right? It's not worth the money. But if, on the other hand, those scriptwriters can create their own intellectual property protection through blockchain technology, then they are free to submit those things without having to worry about contracts and non disclosure agreements. And so it opens up that opportunity to a much wider universe of of authors or other, you know, intellectual property creators. I mean, it's really just, and it's exploded. I mean, it's just amazing the speed at which this is expanding.
0: This is fantastic, Bill. Thank you very much for helping us better understand some of these uses. Uh, I would like to continue this conversation, but let's take a short break and then we'll come back and talk about some of the other developments uh, that are impacting our economy when it comes to some of these technologies.
1: Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations, entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info.
0: Bill, so as we're talking about different things that are happening in our economy, uh, how about we chat a little bit about what the government is doing uh, and focusing on when it comes to big data? What are some of the things happening there?
1: So the government uh, actually has spent enormous amount of money um, hiring data scientists and and others to help them to um, gather and analyze data across all of their areas of jurisdictional interest. And the the implications for uh, private corporations and for internal auditors is that um, it's no longer the case that the government is relying um, on uh, tools that, as they did in healthcare regulation, like statistical sampling. They, they have now moved into um, analyzing um, extraordinarily large amounts of data, and they are um, using that data to identify anomalies for investigation. So in, let's take the healthcare space. um mm-hmm. So those those uh, government regulators are collecting uh, data from all aspects of reimbursement from government programs, and they what they are identifying are areas where there are uh, unexplainable increases in. Um, different types of of requests for reimbursement. So some of the hot areas at the moment are uh, DNA testing, um, also certain types of um, compounding uh, pharmacy um, expenditures where there are related requests for reimbursement. Um, There there, was
0: a talk for a while about things like opioids and and over-prescribing those uh, is that also an example of yeah.
1: uh, areas where yeah, they're looking at data an as well? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're on if you're on the um, the the private side, so whether you're a healthcare provider or you know healthcare insurer related entity, you've got to be aware of that, and and you have to also, uh, in order to satisfy the government's expectations again related to compliance you've got to have systems in place where you can monitor the same data the government's monitoring and identify um you know any any of those anomalies for investigation before the government does because you get you know one thing i I failed to say earlier is you get tremendous credit um for self-reporting so if you are a regulated entity Uh, or or any private entity that would run afoul of any of the criminal laws, you know, so let's say you're not a regulated entity, but you've got FCPA exposure, you get tremendous credit um, for self-reporting and for having systems in place. Um, The government's incidentally, especially interested in systems in place to identify individual actors within your organization and clawing back compensation from those individual actors even if you're not successful in the clawback the the the, the fact that you identified that individual and attempted the clawback will give you tremendous credit in any um, possible government criminal proceeding and and so, so the, like
0: compliance I, so it sounds like compliance is moving a uh, The space of governance, which we've always seen those as being related, right, in terms of GRC. But sometimes when we think about compliance, the the, the approach is somewhat simplistic, let's call it that, in terms of here's a control and I can show you that the control was performed. But of course, a lot of things will siphon through and go through because of um, manipulation, uh, management overrides, reclassification of transactions, a lot of different ways that people could uh, circumvent the controls. So it sounds to me like the government is basically saying, okay, the, the real Thing here is governance, and you showing us that you have mechanisms in place, not only setting expectations but monitoring. And if you see something as anomalous, you take over. You take you know take responsibility, take over the situation, and and communicate that to us to let us know that something uh, is amiss. And, and that shows that you're really trying to govern the organization effectively. Is, is that kind of the, the tone that you're hearing now?
1: That's exactly right. In 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 the government, I, the thing that's odd about it, Bernard, is the government's not waiting for any sort of um, you know response from industry. You know, they they they're just taking these actions. They're letting you know, and of course, the way your organization is going to learn about it is through the general counsel's office, right? So they're they're going to be, you know, there's Lisa Monaco's deputy attorney general has issued this. Um letter you know, which I'm certain will be called in the future the Monaco letter, just like we had the Thompson memo and you know all of these things over the years. but it's going to say here's what we expect, you know it's in in they're, they're not the Justice department's not waiting for you know corporations to tell them whether they're happy with those expectations or not. they're saying this is what you know this is what we expect and so, so these-
0: no, there's no comment period,
1: no comment period exactly. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they're basically saying, if you do these things, you, you, you're you going to come out very well. And if you don't do them, we're going to punish you. Um, and, and when and we so started I, the
0: conversation, you are also telling me that, uh, or you're sharing with us anyway, that we're basically seeing a little bit more collaboration among agencies. Is that correct as well?
1: Huge, huge collaboration among agencies. Yeah. Yeah. No more silos. So they're all, you know, to the extent that they are legally permitted to do so. They're sharing as much information as they can with one another, um, and, and making cross referrals as quickly as they can. Um, and that's a big change. That's that's uh, an important thing that you've identified. That's a huge change or change. Now, another and, and think, question. Another no,
0: question that I have. I'm sorry well, another question that I have then has to do with the funding then so it, greater uh more specific rules and regulations, more focus given to to anomalies uh looking in terms of putting uh more of the burden on the organizations themselves to identify and self report better collaboration are they having their budgets increased so that they can inf- so that they can do the work and they can enforce it uh, as we're discussing i
1: th- I think the answer is twofold. So, uh, yes, they're having their budgets increased and they're also redirecting their budgets away from enforcement activities that they view to be less um, necessary and towards these emerging trends. You know, it's just I mean, it's really interesting to me that, you know, in, in this space, it seems to me the government is actually sort of leading the charge, you know, as they see these trends emerging they're moving very swiftly to address them from an enforcement standpoint. And I think what that says to internal auditors um, is you've got to move with the same speed. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to. um, I I, uh, attended a a presentation related to um, using data analysis for um, internal control and compliance, and they. They had survey questions, and I was surprised at the, the small number of organizations that have really uh, embraced data analytics. And I'm, I'm wondering how, you know, how that's going to intersect with the government's embrace of data analytics. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, <laughs> I would say I think people need to wake up. Um, And and realize that the the government in in this case is really moving with great speed and internal auditors just need to be aware of that and to help, you know, with, I guess, with the general counsel's assistance to um, brief the audit committees and and make them aware of of the need to develop these capabilities to address, you know, the, the government's expectations.
0: Right. And, and I would imagine also that uh, since uh, the government is going to use these tools and is going to take such a, a more scientific approach to identifying anomalies, then it's in the interest of the organization to identify these things themselves sooner so they can address them. And like you indicated earlier as well, self-report, uh, get in front of the problem as opposed to having limited testing um, possibly not identify anomalies and then have the government do it, in which case the the situation would be much more uh, harmful to the organization. Uh, Bill, thank you very much for helping us better understand some of these dynamics and how the government's approach is changing, evolving, and trying to keep up with some of these technological and risk developments. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you
1: too, it. You Thank you.